We've got our first uh, first and only guest uh, joining us uh, right now. He's live with us. We want to bring him in here, and he's the former deputy executive director of the NBA's Players Association, former president, commissioner of the Big Three, and then longtime NBA veteran, former New York Nick, Roger Mason Jr. Roger, how's it going? Going good, man. How you guys doing? Roger, what's happening? What's up? What's up, E? How you been? I've been blessed, bro. How about you? Hey man, so far you know it's you know we alive. I'm blessed. I'm alive. I'm blessed. <laughs> right. You know, Roger, I I was uh, checking out your Twitter coming into tonight. I just wanted to see some of the things you were putting out there on your social channels, and I really love the tweet that you posted yesterday. Uh, New day in America today. I just wanted to get your thoughts before we get into some basketball conversation about kind of this cultural shift that we are, we're seeing in the world and uh, the swearing in of Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, just your thoughts on uh, maybe some of the progress that we might be making today in the world today. Yeah, man, it just, it just feels good. You know, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a rough few years. Um, you know, no, no one president is perfect by no means, but you know, this, this past president, you know, as far as uh, you know, just being a divisive, uh, leader, it just feels good to have you know new leadership and history with Kamala and 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 uh, President Biden. But you know, I also look at it another way. You know, I, I think for me, I feel like God has a purpose in everything, and and I think there's definitely been some positives with uh, with the previous president being in office. You know, I think it highlighted a lot of things that may not have ever been highlighted. You know, it's things that's been going on in this country for so many years that have kind of been hidden. And, you know, if, if we didn't have the scenario, then then, then it, maybe we don't recognize um, how much work we still have to do. These things didn't just start happening, um, you know, over the last four years. So, you know, I, I, I'm a positive guy. I look at the, the, the glass half full and I think there's a lot we learned from this last presidency. And now there's an opportunity for you know, President Biden and Kamala to come in and and really make a big change and, and make a big difference in our in our in our country. I totally agree, Roger. I think 2020, I'm pretty sure everyone would agree, has been an amazingly tough year, um, you know, and, and ironically, I mean, we're coming up on the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's passing in late January. And, you know, I decided to honor him, even though, you know, next week would be a good time as well. Uh, with this uh, jersey behind me. I was hoping also, too, that you could maybe uh, show your camera. Uh, so for those that are tuned in tonight, uh, could also see you. There you go, Roger. Good to see you, my man. Yeah, you too. Um, but, uh, you know, for me and a lot of the conversations when it comes to sports, and I think Edgar and I share this as well, you know, it's kind of like that shocking news of Kobe Bryant a year ago that really felt like it kind of started this spiral of a really terrible 2020. It was, you know, nothing, nothing good came uh, after that. Um, and I just wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, it even surprised me too, when I had gone back to look at that New York times front page the day after, uh, Kobe had died tragically in a helicopter accident that, you know, small article on the front page about COVID-19. It was really nothing that we were talking about here in the United States, uh, at that time. It was breaking up there a little bit. I didn't hear the last part. Yeah, no, just talking about how at that time, you know, we I don't think we ever could have foreseen anything like the the pandemic that we've been dealing with, of course, uh, for, you know, for 10, 11 months now. Um, and it was it was basically a small, a small little article on the front page that day um, with with Kobe Bryant's obituary. 
think we're having some technical difficulties because it's real staticky. You hear me? Now? You hear? Uh, you hear me, Roger? I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, no. Nah, he, um, Bobby was saying, like, you know, uh, you know, it's been a year since uh, Kobe passed away, and pretty much, you know, can you tell us the effect that Kobe had on your your life and you playing against him all these all those years? Yeah, no, I mean, I think first of all, to your first point with twenty twenty, um, you know, like I said, the twenty twenty was the the year that we opened our eyes to a lot of things. And it's ironic, 2020 vision, we, we saw a lot. And it started with Kobe. You know, it, it showed us how quickly something can change in your life, how quickly your life can be over and, and how quickly kids can not have a dad and NBA fans across the world cannot have their idols. And certainly for me, um, Kobe was somebody that we all looked up to, you know, somebody that was a fierce competitor that my days playing with the Spurs – you know, some of my best competitions were against the Lakers. And the feeling you had when you played against them was was unmatched. So um, it was just a sad, sad situation, sad way to start the year. But, you know, it was one of those things that after that happened, like you're calling people that you haven't talked to in a while and you're like letting them know what they mean to you and, you, and you're understanding how precious this life is. And so I just feel like God has purpose in everything. It was a tragedy. Um, but you know, I think it, it also opened our eyes, opened everybody's eyes to to some of the things that's most important. You look at how his relationship was with his kids, you know, not just Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, but Kobe Bryant, the father. That's what hurt the most. And uh, it made you go home and, and hug your kids a little bit tighter. One of the things I do know about you, you're, you're a family guy um, and you're a leader. And I've seen you in the locker room, you know, leading when you was with the Knicks. And I know you had a big, uh, big influence at the MBPA. Can you talk about um, what did Kobe, it, when, you, when things, you know, when you guys had to talk with the players, what type of uh, relationship you, you personally had with Kobe when things, when you needed advice, or, you know, talking to other players and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, Kobe was a student of the game, student of the business, um, and he approached he approached basketball off the court the same way he did on the court. So, you know, I remember in uh, 2010 when I was actually with finishing up with the Knicks and we had the lockout, and you know, we all flew in New York, and Kobe Kobe came in. And he was like, you know, look, you know, Christmas is the date. Like, we got to get this stuff together. If uh, if we're gonna get a season back, and you know he had a tenacity to him, it was kind of no nonsense. Like, look, you know we 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 got to get back on this court, and uh, I'll never forget we were on the escalator. I've said this story before. Um, we were on the escalator, KG, Paul Pierce, Kobe, and myself, and um, they were talking about you know they were talking about game winning shots. Paul Pierce was talking about game how many game winning shots he had hit in his career. And so, you know, the role player, Raj, said, uh, well, in, in 2008, 2009, I led the NBA in game-winning shots. And so K KG and Paul Pierce immediately look at me like, no, the hell you didn't. And Kobe looks at them and is like, yes, he did. And he's like, he hit one in Phoenix, Clippers, Lakers. Like, he named 
everyone is like this guy named all five of my game winning shots from 2008 2009 to tell you the type of maniac he was and the following year he hit six so that he could say he he had more than me but he was that type of competitor that type of just you know guy as far as uh you know basketball on the court and off um i do have a question though um you now with players making so much money lebron and 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 you know james harden do you feel i saw this the other day do you feel like players instead of taking more money should trade in you know some of that money for equity when uh and, buy, and getting a, a percentage of the team um I think the conversation that we've had many times is is how can players get uh, participation in the va franchise values that rise with their with their participation. You know, you look at you know LeBron, whatever team he goes to, that team's value is going up. You look at Golden State, you know when they so it's never happened. It's something that we've talked a lot about, and I think you know if you really want to call something a partnership then in my opinion, you got to have a conversation about equity. You know, you got to have a conversation because that goes beyond just your playing days. And so I've been a firm believer in, you know, always thinking outside the box and figuring out ways to add more value. But, but e, I think, you know, it's a great point. And I think it's something that this next CBA is something they should look at. Roger, some great stories about Kobe Bryant. I, I feel like a lot of the fans might have uh, forgotten about how great a player you were, um, you know, and getting a chance tonight to talk to you a little bit about your career. And I think it's it starts, you know, right at the high school level, Mr. Basketball in uh, 1999, best uh, high school player in the D.C. area, went on to be a second-round draft pick in the 2002 draft and played really well at Virginia. Uh, when you look back at your career, aside from, all those big game-winning shots uh, that season. Is there any particular moment that you're most proud of? Yeah, you know, I think I'm, I'm most proud of, you know, I left my junior year. I dislocated my shoulder and had a major shoulder surgery right when I signed with an agent. Um, I'm proud of the perseverance, you know. Uh, I was supposed to be a top 14 pick. I ended up being the 30th pick, 31st actual draft pick because uh, Minnesota forfeited a pick that year. But – you know, it, it, for me, it's about the journey and it's about the perseverance. You know, it was a it was a dream of mine to make it to the three point contest. I've been a shooter all my life. And for me, that was like the pinnacle. It was a goal that I had. And I, and I lived that goal. I lived that dream. Um, being a guy that was a starter in this league was a goal of mine. You know, Jalen Rose, my rookie year, I'll never forget. Uh, he was my vet. And Jay Rose used to always talk on the bus like, you're not really an NBA player until you average over 10 points a game. And, you know, that 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 stuck with me. And um, when I finally did get a chance to start and I and I and I made that threshold, it was one of those moments where I was like, all right, my OG told me this my rookie year. Like, all right, I finally made it, you know. Those uh, two years in San Antonio, you guys, of course, you know, get to the playoffs and face some pretty good teams, um, fall to the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns. Uh, that probably was, I guess, during the, the course of your career, the best uh, chances to maybe win an NBA championship. But you definitely played in some big-time uh, playoff series. Uh, is that best highlight in terms of, of team accolades? 
No, actually, best one was uh, 2013, 14, playing with the Miami Heat and going to the White House to see Obama after after the year that they won it. So I came the following year after they won it back to back um, and just making a team. I had a non-guaranteed contract. This is a team that had won two in a row. Um, they had another guy who had some guaranteed money. I worked my ass off that summer with my boy, Justin Zormello, one of the best basketball trainers in the business. And I went in there and I took a spot, quite frankly, a spot from a championship team that had won it two years in a row that didn't really have a roster spot. So that's for sure my most, one of my proudest accomplishments, you know, and, and being on that team that had just won two, they, we called ourselves the Heatles. They called themselves the Heatles because you had LeBron, Wade, Bosh, Ray Allen, Birdman, Haslam. It, it was, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. And although we lost um, to the Spurs and I, I actually got traded on the day of the trade deadline, um, you know, if we had won it, I would have got a ring. But overall, I, I thought that was my best chance of winning the championship. It didn't work out, but I got to live like a champion because they had won the year before and I got to go to the White House. Can you talk about the, um, the, the shooting contests you had with Ray Allen that season? We had some epic, epic three-point shooting contests, Ray and I, and James Jones, too. And, and also, can you talk about the leadership of LeBron, D. Wade, and Tim Duncan? You played with three of the greatest players of all time. Can you explain all the, their leadership styles and what did you learn from them personally? Yeah, they, they all have very different leadership styles. Um, I guess I'll start with Tim um, because I played with him first. He's, he's a very quiet guy. Not, you're not going to say a whole lot, but he leads by example and he leads with his body of work. You know, you come into the gym, you know you're going to see Tim Duncan on the, on the gun, the shooting gun, shooting off the backboard, working on his moves like clockwork. And you know, to see a superstar, arguably the the best power forward of all time, working on his game like that, you know, you can't help but 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 want to do the same thing. So his leadership style was, uh, you know, quiet but lead by example. And when he spoke, you listened. Um, LeBron is a different cat. You know, he's one of the kindest and and, and most uh, generous superstars I've ever played with. You know, I remember my year there, you know, I had a different pair of Beast by Dre almost every other week. Like all the all the companies that he endorsed, you know, he's got something in your locker when you're coming in. He's a guy that wants to go out and, and grab dinner, you know, have some wine. Um, and then when it's time to work, I mean, the guy is an animal. I've never seen someone, you know, put the level of, of attention to their body the way that I've seen LeBron James do that. You know, and that's all the trainers he has around him. That's his work in the weight room, his work on massages, getting his sleep. So to me, it's no surprise seeing him, you know, in year 17, 18, you know, still thriving because I see how he takes care of his body and how he works. And so his leadership style is a lot louder, you know, a lot more active, you know, a lot more encouraging. Um, he's a terrific leader. And then D Wade, I'd say it's kind of a combination of the two of them. You know, he's not as outgoing and as loud as LeBron, but 
he's uh he's more active and, and more uh communicates a little bit louder than uh than Tim Duncan does. Roger, the uh the league, of course, as we talked about a little bit earlier, kind of predicated, of course, on star power. You know, so I guess all the talk here in the Big Apple lately has been whether or not this big trio is going to work out for the Nets. Wanted to get your thoughts on James Harden and whether Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and Harden can make this work. I realized the first couple of games with Harden and KD were spectacular. Last night, I don't know if you can count it, with Kyrie coming back, they lose in double overtime. Uh, really strong performance for him. But I'm, I'm just curious what you think, if it's going to work long term. Yeah, you know what? I, I think it's going to work. And the reason why I think it's going to work is because those three guys want it to work. They're at a point in their career where it's not about leading the league and scoring. It's not about getting another big contract. It's not about proving to the world that they can score. None of that stuff. For them, it's about winning a championship. And I think they really will sacrifice. I know all three of those guys very well. And um, I feel like they're going to sacrifice to do the best for the, for the team. I think when you get into the playoffs, that's where your stars carry you. And to have three guys that can go out and get their own bucket, that's when it's going to matter. Because you know what? You scout all these plays in the playoffs. So, you know, having sets and this and that, all that stuff is out the window. You know, the one thing that I would say is they're going to have to improve on their defense, which I think they will. Um, I think they will, but if they can figure out that side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball, I think they're going to be a problem. Now, all three guys, of course, are known for being great ISO players, isolation players. You can make a case maybe in the NBA today that they're the three best ISO players, and now they're all on the same team. Do you think that that is the case? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, James Harden has been the best ISO player in the NBA the last two years because KD wasn't playing. You know what I mean? So now KD's back. So it's arguably, I don't know which one you say is better. Then you got Kyrie, who is ridiculous himself. So it's it was I watched that whole game yesterday. I watched both overtimes. It was a joy to watch and joy to see. So if um, you know, Brooklyn and Lakers on a collision course for the NBA finals, you have your boy, LeBron, going for number five. Yeah, you know what? I think from a talent standpoint, and if you count on Brooklyn to to make some more changes and, and add to the defense, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's what it seems like from a talent standpoint. Who do you choose? Going for the Nets or the Lakers, Roger? I, I, would, I would say the Lakers right now by far. They have a deeper bench, and they've got size. But Brooklyn still has time to make some to make some upgrades to their roster. So one of the one of the questions that Edgar had brought up a couple of episodes ago was just this whole idea about you know whether or not the trade would be worth it depending upon whether or not they win X amount of championships. So we talked about it earlier tonight too. Nets end up surrendering control of their first round draft pick for the next seven NBA drafts. Is the Harden deal worth it if the team comes close but doesn't win a title? It's already worth it because it's very rare in this league that you give yourself a chance to win a championship. And so if you have that opportunity, you know, compared to what might happen in the future, even if it's seven years of first-round picks, you take that chance. And so, 
you know, whether or not they win it or not, it's worth it because the opportunity to win a championship does not happen often. You got franchises that have been around for a long time that have never realistically been able to say, we got a shot this year, you know? And that's what you want to be able to say coming out of training camp. I've been on a lot of bad teams where when we come out of training camp, <laughs> we know it's not a championship year. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's different. Last week we had Baron Davis on the show and he kind of, I think, um, took offense to some of the comments I made. Now I'm a huge James Harden fan, no doubt about it. First episode for us in here, uh, you know, step in the arena, I had my James Harden hat on, very excited about him coming to the Brooklyn Nets. But uh, one of the comments I made to, to Baron was the fact that, you know, again, it does look like Harden tends to fade come the playoffs. Um, he took offense to that because he, he said, I couldn't understand how difficult it is for a player like Harden to have to go through all of those rounds. Do you agree with that? Or you think that the criticism that's heaped upon Harden when it comes to the postseason is fair? People, I mean, look, it's people's job to criticize, right? Some, some people have a, a actual job that feeds, you know, their kids and their family to, to be critical about everybody, you know, and I think there's enough to go around. At the end of the day, you know, the playoffs are a different beast. James Harden is a special talent. Um, you know, I'm sure James Harden would say, hell, I wish I played better in the playoffs myself to give ourselves a better chance to win. I mean, that's what all competitors would say. So, you know, I, you know, I don't necessarily see it that way. You know, I, I think he knows that he can't do it alone. He knows he needs a supporting cast. When you get to the playoffs, it's not about one player. And so you need a team, you know, you need to be on the same page and um, you need talent. And um, he felt like he didn't have that talent, you know, in Houston. And uh, he, he has it now. So I think there's a little bit of pressure there now, but he's got what he asked for. And, and let's see what he does. Um, one of the things I want to ask you is that, you know, you got guys like LeBron James, Steph Curry, um, Kevin Durant, and now and yourself who are content creators. Um, and I want to talk about, like, you know, your vision, I know your, your business now after your career, you're building this company called Vault Vault. And I, I just want you to talk about that. Yeah, man. We've been we've been building Vaunt um for a few years now. And um, you know, it's an exciting time for us. We we create sports and entertainment IP. You guys know I, I was at the Players Association for some time and got a chance to understand group licensing rights and how valuable players are off the court and telling their stories. But at Vaunt, we also do music, so entertainment, sports. So I don't know if you guys saw, but our first big project was just recently with Post Malone. We, uh, we executive produced the World Beer Pong League on Facebook uh, with different celebrities. We had Chainsmokers, Quavo, um, Halsey, Machine Gun Kelly, and Megan Fox. I mean, we had a great lineup of, of different celebrities. It was a huge success um, and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, the whole thing for us is taking, you know, these athletes and entertainers and things that they love to do and, and helping them to create content around it where they can, you know, have fun with it, but also get paid. Yeah, we were talking to Baron, Baron last week and he has a company called Slick. How difficult was it for you to build this company? And what are the, you know, especially, you know, you're an athlete, so you're connected. But, you know, how hard is it for you to try to get, you know, make it this house, you know, household name? You know, it's very, very tough 
Um, I did. I've done now three rounds of, of fundraising. We've raised a little over five and a half million to date from some pretty sophisticated people. You know, the L.A. Dodgers, their ownership group, Tony Robbins um, is an investor. David Levy from Turner. Um, we've been fortunate, but it's been a lot of hard work, a lot of, you know, late nights and and um, just sticking with it. You need some hard to guard in there, Raj. You need some hard to guard in there. You got to figure something out, bro. For real. <laughs> so, Got joined tonight by Roger Mason Jr. For those that are listening on uh, other platforms um, like Spotify, when we uh, have this in the archive, uh, wanted to let everybody know who who you are. Of course, Roger wanted to get your thoughts too, because you know we talked a little bit about different stops in your NBA career, but um, you end up playing uh, two stints in Washington. I was curious also about your time overseas, and if you could comment about what that was like, especially having been in the league and then going overseas and then trying to fight your way back into the NBA. Yeah, it doesn't happen often. You know, I, um, and you know, I'm, I'm actually writing a book, so I'll leave a little bit. There's a story behind, um, why I went overseas. But when I, when I first got to Greece, um, for me, I'd looked at it as an opportunity to get the ball back in my hand. I hadn't played. I, as I told you, I got hurt when I got drafted, right? I missed my first 66 games. I was Jerry Krause's guy, and my second year they fired Jerry Krause with the Bulls. And so now a new GM comes in, and obviously he wanted to bring in his own player, so I get traded to Toronto. Um, and, you know, I spent a year and a half there, and, and the next thing I knew I was in Europe. Um, so I needed to play. I needed to get the ball in my hands. I needed to get my rhythm again. Had a great year in Greece with Olympiacos. I loved it so much. I said, you know what? You know, I want to do this one more year. I got a big offer to go to Israel um, before it was cool to go there. Uh, you know, and I, and I signed with Hapo Jerusalem, the same team that maybe seven or eight years later, maybe 10 years later, Amari signed with, Samari Stoudemire. But it was a wonderful experience. Um, I, I balled out. And um, every day I approached practice um, as if I was in camp trying to get back to the NBA. And um, and I was able to do that. After those two great years with the Spurs, of course, you finish up your career with the Knicks, the Hornets, and then as you mentioned, the Miami Heat. I was curious about that that one season in New York because I know everyone always talks, especially these years that have been a little tough for the Knicks, about the culture and James Dolan, and about how you know how difficult it, it has been to be a Knickerbocker. Can you share any of those thoughts? I'm sure that's going to be in the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it's the year that I was depressed as an NBA player. That was um, that was a dark year for me. It was a it was a very very tough year for me, um, playing for Mike D'Antoni, um, Dan Phony. I mean Tony. Um, it was a it was a tough year. You know, uh, I took less money to come to New York. Um, I could have signed with the Hornets. Um, for a lot more money that year. But, uh, you know, I, w I was told that I was going to have a great opportunity. I had missed out on a big payday in San Antonio. So, you know, my first year in San Antonio, I averaged around 12, led the NBA in game-winning shots, three-point contest. Second year, I break my hand, um, and just it just doesn't go right. And so I missed, you know, a big payday. Come to New York thinking that, all right, I can rebuild myself. Um, they told me everything I wanted to hear and, and I got here and it just, 
it was just a bad a bad match uh personality wise um i'm coming from one of the highest character you know best organ best run organizations in sports from the spurs and then i'm coming to the knicks who hadn't been in the playoffs in 10 years um i'm coming from a coach that stressed defense coach popovich to a coach that you know quite frankly you know, kind of got mad anytime I talked about how we did things in San Antonio defensively. So I kind of got put in a doghouse and uh, it just, it was a, it was a rough year. You know, these days, a big topic when it comes to the NBA, and I think all professional sports is this concept of mental health. You know, what does it take for an NBA player to kind of keep their edge, their routine and keep their mental health when things aren't uh, going too well? You want to be able to work just like anybody. You want to be in a work environment that's healthy, right? You want to be in a work environment that is encouraging and and um, you feel good going to work every day, you know. And uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, at that time, it just it wasn't fun going to work every day, um, you know. And, I, and we made the trade that year. Um, Carmelo came when Chauncey got here. It got a little bit better. He's a great leader, um, and we were able to finish the year out strong and, and make the playoffs for the first time in, in 10 years. And when it came playoff times, all of a sudden I'm playing, you know, which was just wild. So, uh, you know, it wasn't all bad. You know, I, I uh, made some great relationships in New York, um, you know, met some great people. Some people in the franchise were, were awesome. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's uh, another chapter in, uh, in the book. Roger, do you, do you see yourself, like I said, I know you, you know, you, you, your passion is building companies and, and you're an entrepreneur, but do you see yourself down the road as a GM or president of an organization? Yeah. I mean, I would always keep that door open. Um, I, uh, I worked for the Denver Nuggets for a year in the front office as a consultant. Um, so I did all the pro scouting. I was at the garden. You probably saw me at the garden a bunch, uh, Brooklyn games, a bunch. Just, I like staying close to the league. I like, you know, keeping my, keeping myself up to, up to date on everything going on. Um, so it's not something that I would rule out. Um, I thought about the Washington job, um, when that became open. Um, but I love what I'm doing, man. You know, I love being an entrepreneur. I love being able to see my kids and take my kids to school and having the flexibility and, and being the CEO uh, of my business. Roger, if you had to put your GM hat on, would you say that the Knicks are trending in the right direction right now with uh, Coach Tibbs? Or would you? what would you do to fix the Knicks if you felt that they needed to be fixed? Yeah, I think they're going in the right direction. Honestly, I like what they're doing. You know, I think they're obviously well coached with Tibbs. I think uh, I like Obi. I scouted him when he almost came out the year before. Um, I was at the A-10 tournament um, at Barclays Center two years ago scouting him. Um, I liked him then. I like him now. Uh, you know, they're playing hard. So, I, you know, I like what they're doing. I do. How about quickly? How about Emmanuel quickly? Him too. You know, I was, uh, I was a fan of both of their picks. Um, I think they did a nice job in free agency. Um you know, RJ seems like he's developing nicely, you know. So, you know, Mitchell Robinson is obviously a, a hell of a talent. So they got some pieces, but, you know, they're going to need to make a splash 
here in free agency one of these years to really kind of push forward the timeline because otherwise you know you're looking at a four or five year timeline if you're depending on draft picks i suggested to add maybe somebody like zach levine of chicago would be a good move for the knicks yeah i heard you guys talking about that you know I, i'm a big fan of zach levine i just don't know if there's any assets that chicago would want um in in return for him given you know he he's he's balling out this year and so I, I feel like his price is going up and um you know there's probably some combination that would work but then you're, what are you giving away right is it is it worth it if you're giving away rj and mitchell you know i think that's too much um but um but i'm a big fan of zach levine's you know, another another point I wanted to make, I guess, about R.J. Barrett, because I know he's the guy that everybody kind of feels like the team is probably going to build around is, you know, is it tough to have your star be a guy that's, you know, because, again, he's still really looking for his jump shot. So to me, when I look at R.J. Barrett, I'm thinking to myself, he's going to have to develop into like Jimmy Butler in order for the Knicks to maybe take it to another level, a guy that you know, basically is able to make things happen without having that superior jump shot, especially as a guy that was known for his shooting prowess. Can R.J. Barrett be a star in this league without having that consistent jumper? I think it still remains to be seen. You know, you can't play in today's NBA and, and be a star, superstar, you know, without a jumper. Now, there's one guy who's doing it, but he's seven foot, Greek freak, Right. You know, it's very difficult. You know, he could be a, a very solid player, but to be a superstar in six seven, six eight, he's gonna have to that jump shot is gonna have to come around. Yeah, um, just like last question, um, Roger, when you look at back at your career and you wake up every day, you know, what do you say? Man, I was a blessed dude. You know, I, I got eleven years in the NBA. You know, I, I look back and I'm like. Man, where'd the time go? You know, it was a it was an unbelievable ride, just incredible, and uh, I'm very very grateful. Um, you know, a lot of talented players out there. Uh, so for me to be able to last that long and have a career and and have some really solid years, it you know, I'm proud. And is there one moment that you've never shared publicly that you can share today uh, that you always remember about you? your career one one moment one you know a moment with a player out outside hanging out something yeah i think it's the moment i told you about kobe I, I haven't shared that um you know with um with with any media before but that was a moment that you know obviously with him not being here anymore like that moment was like is everything for me because to have someone like that acknowledge you um that was a moment where i was like man i've really made it like like the ultimate respect from one of the fiercest competitors in all the sports is he best player that you've ever played against roger i mean i played against lebron in the playoffs two years in a row um uh, when i was with the wizards and he was with Cleveland, and it, I mean, that guy, Le, Cleveland LeBron was just a monster. So I, it's a toss up, honestly. I can't tell you which, it's one or the other, you know, 
I might wake up tomorrow and say Kobe and wake up Saturday and say LeBron. You think LeBron has a chance to end it? Because he's still, you know, I think part of the problem with debating goats right now is that LeBron is still kind of authoring the rest of this narrative. Like his his resume is in is incomplete, as complete as it is. I mean, if he retires today, never plays basketball again, he's right up there in that upper echelon goat status. But at, with the same token, since we know that the narrative is not complete and that LeBron can still end up authoring even more greatness. Is there a chance, because Ed talked about this too already, is there a chance that LeBron is right there kind of like on the brink of of passing Kobe and MJ and can do it with maybe a couple more championships or at least another couple of really great seasons with the Lakers? If LeBron wins another championship this year, right, back-to-back, and now has five championships and somehow is able to win another one, he's the GOAT. More rings than 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 MJ and on three different teams, he's a GOAT. And to, that'll be what, 12, 13 NBA finals appearances. Yeah, he's a GOAT. If he can win two more championships, especially if he three-piece with the Lakers, I don't see how he's not the GOAT. More championships than MJ, you got to give it to him. You know, Roger, one thing that stood out for me, though, in terms of the debate, and even me, like I, I definitely fall into that that narrative of talking about like Kobe, LeBron, or LeBron, MJ. Like we, we tend to, to condense it to just these players from this generation or last couple of generations. Like even when we expand the conversation, it's often Magic Johnson or players from the 70s and 80s. But with the same token, when I, I talk to some of my friends that are a little older, they always remind me not to leave out the players of yesteryear, which, again, I know the NBA was different back then, but it's hard to overlook when you go back and look at the stats like Oscar Robertson or or like Julius Irving when he was Dr. J. Do you, you, you know, as a player that played in the league and, and you got to see, again, a lot of these great players that we just mentioned, whether it's playing against them, playing with them, do you reflect on some of the players from yesteryear and say to yourself that they probably deserve to be more in the conversation? Because no one ever even brings up to me. They never bring up Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They never bring up Will Chamberlain. They never bring up Bill Russell or even Jerry West. I mean, these are some guys that that probably deserve to be in that same conversation with Kobe, LeBron, Magic. Jordan. Yeah, I mean, you got to give those guys ultimate respect. For their era, they were the equivalent of what we're talking about. But you know, the thing with me is, you know, we have film and and we can see, you know, what they did. And, you know, for whatever reason, um, that era of player didn't have the combination of size, strength, athleticism. They didn't have the sports medicine that, you know, we have today. So, you know, they, they were built differently. Right. So like Oscar Robinson was a solid dude. Like he was strong. But he wasn't LeBron. You know what I mean? So, like, what he did was phenomenal. And he was the LeBron or, or, or more of his time. And you got to respect that. But it's very hard to when you start trying to compare eras. Um, and for me, I just think, era aside, we have never seen anybody like Michael Jordan. We have never seen anybody like LeBron James. So, like, like those two are like they're like on a different level because whatever era you look like, you've never seen anybody like those two. 
Um, and so that's why, to me, those are the best two players, you know, that the NBA has ever seen. Totally agree. Definitely two of the best players I've ever seen. And uh, Kobe Bryant, definitely in that conversation. And Magic Johnson, too, for that matter, in my lifetime, at least with these two eyes. Yeah. I know Edgar is a huge LeBron James loyalist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be rooting for the Lakers, Roger, if uh, if it gets down to the finals. He's already trying to persuade you to vote against the Nets if they make it to the NBA finals. Yeah. But look, Raj, man, I, you know, I really appreciate the time. You know, um, I know you're a busy guy and you're running around like a maniac. Until we, one day, hopefully me and you could connect real soon. We're going to do it. And we're we're going to do it. We've been talking about trying to make something happen for... I let's think. do it. It's 21. It's my, it's my year. It's my number, man. So let's do it in 21. Let's do it. I appreciate you. No problem, man. Y'all be Mike easy. Mason Jr., thanks so much. Appreciate the time. Great job. Yeah.